0: Welcome to your Active Tech Brief Podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the State of the Union speech and its implications for digital policy. For an overview on all things technology related in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter, visit the website URACTIVE.com. This is URACTIVE's Tech Brief Podcast. This episode is powered by Google. The internet can be a big place for small children. That's why we built YouTube Kids, a standalone dedicated app that lets parents set content levels for a self-contained, age-appropriate experience. It's packed with additional features and tools to help parents get things just right for the family. And we are continually evolving the platform and our policies to give kids a safer place to continue to play and learn. Today, I'm joined by Scott Marcus, Senior Fellow at Bruegel, and Cecilia Bonnefeld-Dahl, Director General of Digital Europe. Welcome both. So, we are here to discuss the State of the Union speech, and I would like uh, Scott to kick off the conversation. What is your assessment of this uh, annual speech, and in particular, looking at digital policy?
1: Well, I'll tell you, before I got on this interview, I took a second to look at uh, what Shakespeare wrote about Henry V talking to the troops before the battle at Agincourt. And what he was really trying to do, the, the, Henry V, the king, was to rally the troops to get them behind him. Uh, and I think this speech needs to be understood in that way. Uh, this speech was rallying the troops. It was a political speech. It was really very different from the technocratic kind of speeches that were used to hearing from commission leadership. And for that reason, um, what you find as regards digital policy is darn little in the way of specifics. Um, There are generalities. Digital gets mentioned, I think, four times, um, but really hardly any specifics at all, except for perhaps the the one reference to roaming in Ukraine. Uh, So mostly this is not about regulation. Digital is woven throughout. But... Not specifics. And where it is in there, it's in in the sense of overall industrial policy, trying to ensure that we have robust global value chains and supply robust security, um, rather than uh, specifically on the kind of regulatory topics that a lot of us, Russells, wonks, think about, like Digital Services Act and Digital Markets Act, Data Act, Artificial Intelligence Act. Not a word about any of that jazz.
0: Indeed, there weren't uh, many mentions of digital policy or uh, any attempt to uh, envision something for next year for what concerns digital policy, even for cybersecurity, which has been a very um, hot topic since uh, the start of the war in Ukraine. But speaking of Ukraine, you also mentioned the roaming extension. And indeed we have heard uh, telecom, European telcos very active in this area. Uh, what does it take to extend uh, the free-roaming area to Ukraine?
1: Well, in principle, it could be done. Historically, the European institutions have been very reluctant to extend the the roaming area at all, and there's a very strong reason for that, and that is the WTO conventions, the GATS. Uh, Essentially, if you were to try to extend it to some third country, uh, that wasn't in a special relationship with the European Union, you would risk having everybody else jump onto the same terms under the standard sort of GATS agreements, which is that you can't favor one country over another, its most favored nation. The notable exception is if there's a wide ranging free trade agreement, then you can. Now, Ukraine already has something of free trade arrangements with Europe, and of course, those are likely to be broadened as part of the arrangements now, which could be done through a free trade agreement without going all the way to EU membership. It's pretty clear that, uh, that Ms. von der Leyen did not offer an immediate membership, did not offer an accelerated membership, nor has she in the past. It takes years to do that. There's some historic problems that uh, Ukraine has had, especially with stamping out corruption. So that won't happen overnight and can't happen overnight. But a free trade agreement could happen and the uh, bringing, Ukraine into the the roaming arrangements could be done as part and parcel of that. Roaming is complicated. There's retail and wholesale pieces. Both should be done at once if it's going to be done at all.
0: Moving on to you, uh, Cecilia, as Digital Europe, uh, you have presented a sort of uh, wish list um, uh, ahead of the State of the Union speech. How much of what you asked for was in there?
2: Well, first of all, I, I, I really agree. It was a political speech, and it was a speech that uh, focused at the unity, and and had a you know one big surprising element of uh, of the president announcing that she was ready to kind of change the treaty and and call for uh, all the member states basically to uh, to discuss this uh, opening of the treaty, which has not been done for years and years, and and for many things, um, this they have tried to regulate in a number of areas. That are no longer really uh, national. Let's look at cybersecurity. Let's look at the educational system. Not least, of course, the economy uh, and the market terms are much more global, and and much more scale is needed. And now this uh, calling for for opening you know, the treaty, of course, um, after the COVID crisis, uh, crisis, and and of course during the wartime, you know. Is maybe the biggest, um, you know, uh, biggest leadership uh, call she has done so far, and I don't think she wanted it to kind of get lost in in policy details of regulation, but it does uh, witness a, a leader who's really taking the lead in times where she might be able to really change this, and where we have, you know, failed to have common footing on defence. On cybersecurity, on building uh, scalable market conditions for our companies, and where supply chain has really been challenged. But I also think she does this in a time where citizens and companies are really, you know, understanding the need for Europe to be uh, united, and where there is a sense of urgency to actually. Move on a range of area. So, so I think as as uh, as Scott uh, said, it, digital was basically embedded. This she spoke about. Um, she spoke about digital, but linked to the big challenges of security, of supply chain, and of the green transformation. Um, she did not go into the details of saying, okay, we can save X amount of percent of CO2, if we use digital technologies or if we do this and that, but the opening on the treaty coming just at this time, where we, when we are really challenged of the governance of cybersecurity and defense, I think really shows that the next step, we are ready to take the next step in Europe um, to unite on a, on, a, on a series of areas that are no longer really uh, national challenges, but international challenges. So I could have wished for her to tell me a little bit more about the Resilience Act and the Cyber Defence Act that will come in December, um, but we know it's moving ahead, and I think she wanted to take the lead really in this opening of the treaty on exactly these areas that have where the Commission has struggled to really take a profound um, a profound um, responsibility in something where you know Europe really needs it at this time.
1: If if I could jump in here, I'm very much on board with what Cecilia just said. It seems to me that these different threads need to be understood together. Uh, The speech was really about bringing everybody together. That's one of the reasons why even though Madame von der Leyen was talking a lot about the war, she didn't really talk about European defense because that would have been a divisive issue. And cybersecurity, of course, especially when we talk about cyber warfare, which is an incredibly immediate topic today, um, would have really led us into the same direction. I don't think she wanted to go there. Um, likewise, if we look at the um, at the reference to the treaty discussion, it's sort of forced, I think, today, if we're talking about taking on board new member states, uh, and here we talked not only about Ukraine, but also about Moldova and Georgia, and maybe about reawakening the uh, long-stalled Western Balkans discussion, uh, there again, treaty modification is pretty much unavoidable if we stick with unanimity for even more member states it's very difficult to get unanimity today it would be almost impossible if we expand Uh, it's really unavoidable to take these on
2: i also think we should take note of one thing i mean she did mention one concrete area which of course was apart from the raw material that we might return to was the skill uh, the skills area so the competences Um, I think that it has really been an area where everybody has struggled to get it right. Um, We have in the industry, it has been the number one challenge of of the European industry for the last 20 years, actually getting access to well-educated digital competences. And it's becoming harder and harder in a global market where these people can actually work uh, digitally, which means that we have a slowdown of the economy and we, we we struggle with growth. But it also talks to the heart of people that they, they that she's embedding, you know, all the citizens on board saying we will make sure that you can participate. We will make sure that you get the digital skills on cybersecurity on these mandated, very pressing areas. And second of all. Um, I think she also uh, you know, embraced, like Scott said, that if uh, or when, let's say when we need to bring on, on board Ukraine and Moldova and, and other states, um, well, then we have to look at what is important for them. So this, the, the speech was really centered around Ukraine, around the energy crisis. Around skills to people, something that everybody can unite on, and and uh, and other more sensitive matters might have been uh, you know divisive, and therefore avoided because right now it's more important to have you know closed doors discussions on how far can they take this than having it upfront in a speech uh, online.
1: I, I think that's exactly right. But uh, taking this point on education a little further. Digital is kind of related to this because digital is changing all of our jobs. It's not getting rid of a lot of jobs as much as we can tell, but it's transforming them all. And so the need for a shift in education, a shift toward lifelong learning, uh, it's really essential. And yet, once again, this is yet another area where the competence is with the member states, with the nations, uh, not at European level, even though we have a freedom of movement for workers, uh, even though we have a European labor market, the skills that go into that labor market are not standardized at European level. So European initiatives are very limited in what they can do. So again, it's an area, I was very happy to hear this. I was also very happy to hear uh, her focusing on the ability for workers from third countries to come into the European Union with more ease than is the case today. I mean, indeed, there is this question mark
0: of what Europe can do more about uh, education. But without going too much into um, that topic, I I actually wanted to uh, pick up what you said, Cecilia, on the Raw Material Act, because this is really uh, what at least uh, President von der Leyen indicated as uh, potentially the next big crisis after the energy crisis in terms of dependency from foreign powers. So... I mean, this will impact the tax sector. It will impact the the green transitions, especially in terms of renewables. Um, what do you expect uh, from this uh, proposal?
2: Well, yeah, we don't know exactly what to expect yet. I guess it must be you know something like the Chips Act, and uh, and there's no doubt that you know we have witnessed a shortage of critical supply that we have never seen before. First with the COVID crisis, then with the war it has been neon, it has been many, many different raw materials and lysium, et cetera. And, um, and they are really critical to the digital products. And uh, for the first time, we wake up to this fact that, you know, the global market has really specialized. And, and I mean, nearly all the very advanced chips are manufacturers in Taiwan, uh, as we know, um, and it will take years to build that. So how do we, I think this is really about how can we have a geographical spread and how can we build competences in critical supply? Uh, And how can we make alliances so we know that we have access to to this in time of conflict? Uh, What I do hope it's not, uh, it is uh, that that we will not spread investment throughout uh, 27 countries. I'm, I'm already very worried with the CHIPS Act if we if we you know divide everything in 27 small buckets and we will not succeed there is a reason why chips are manufacturing in one place in the world because it's extremely specialized and very 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 difficult both for the the how how you how you're manufacturing them uh, the 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 skills the people the machines everything so we will really have to think hard, both on how we handle raw material and, of course, um, the the, um, the processing of raw materials and on chips. How we can create really uh, good collaboration with our like-minded nations, but also how we can create how can you say very specialized centers in Europe, not 27, maybe not even. Four, maybe only two or three where we we know that we can build competence and not only research competence but really also um, participation in the in the production and, and processing of these and um, and how can we work together with like minded nations on that so I, we don't know what it's going to look like but i i think it's it's like the chip sack and and i hope that there will be an early discussion on how investment will actually be done
1: Well said, Cecilia. Now, I think this whole notion, of course, this is linked to the whole strategic autonomy issue, um, but clearly there are two different elements. To some extent, its ability to self supply, to the other, it's having diverse supply chains. I think that the Ukraine war has really brought home an issue. If you'd asked most economists a couple of years ago, they would have said, well, you want the stuff to be built or shipped from wherever it can be most efficiently and most cost-effectively done. And that's really breaking down. Now, we've had massive sanctions on Russia, but Russia is, in most areas, not really a major supplier to Europe. There are a few things, yes, but mostly not. Um, however, what it really brings home, I think, even though we don't have an equivalent conflict with China, we could. Uh, the tensions over Taiwan continue to ramp up. I keep an eye on how many aircraft carriers China has. You know, Things are actually going in a direction where, within perhaps five years, things could heat up either into threat of military action or perhaps actual overt, uh, overt conflict. Uh, and in those cases, much more crucial value chains would be likely to be interrupted. And we can't put ourselves in a position where we're vulnerable to things like that. So strategic autonomy takes on a very different impact, a very different import than it had taken on just a scant couple of years ago.
2: I, I totally agree and I, I think there are some very interesting uh, you know, movements within sovereignty and strategic autonomy um, in the sense that we even had Macron saying there is no digital, uh, digital national sovereignty, there's only European so- uh, digital sovereignty. So there is this kind of move even from countries like France and others towards a much more Europeanized view on how we handle these big challenges. And the honest truth is that we would not be able to handle them in, in in each country. It's it's impossible. We are talking a huge investment. We are talking complex supply chains, and we are talking access to talent that would not be able. We would not be able to find in in one country at a time. So so really complex matters, and and we also see now initiatives from from the Commission and of course from US of monitoring and, and leaving out certain regimes in their supply chains and and with of course now uh, today uh, the 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 Chinese president uh, visiting uh, Putin i mean we will see most likely uh, you know more and more conflictual um trade conditions in a market that has been totally global uh, and supply chains before so so it, it is out of necessity i would say and And it is also with an urgency that is absolutely much larger than before
0: I guess that will be also one for the this new uh, sovereignty fund, and I think we are all very curious to see what it will look like and what it will finance um, but going back to the the legislative agenda um and and circling back to what we said at the beginning of, of this podcast, von der Leyen made very few uh, announcements in terms of policy proposals. And it was interesting to see uh, Weber, the head of the European People's Party in the European Parliament, uh, announcing a sort of moratorium on new legislation. Do you see this, uh, Scott, as a sort of... Uh, closing the legislative machinery for this uh, term. So does it mean that the commission will now just focus on the open
1: files? Well, in any commission presidency, as you get toward the end of the term, it would be prudent to slow things down so that the measures that are introduced can actually get enacted before the presidential term ends, which in this case would be 2024. So things should be starting to slow down anyway. I think it's also fair to say at the moment, the European Union as a whole has other fish to fry. But also if you look at it, uh, the measures that are already either in the pipeline or else enacted uh, really represent in digital a very substantial legacy. Some of the biggest, of course, are well known to everyone, Digital Markets Act, Digital Services Act, but you've also got a Data Governance Act, you've got a a European health data space. Uh, You've got a lot of other influential uh, measures uh, and collectively, uh, it's really a legacy that in many respects is larger than what we saw in the previous term with the digital single market, even though there may have been more legislation acts, but probably less significant than these. So it's it's really quite a large legacy that the Commission and that the European institutions, Parliament and Council together, of course, uh, will collectively be leaving. I think a little slowing down Wouldn't be such a bad thing right now. My biggest concern, I have to say, is that with so many different acts with such large implications, each one has different mechanisms for getting coordination among the member states, for getting coordination between the member states in the European Union. Some of the existing measures have problems, like GDPR, where the one stop shop is really struggling. And I really worry that trying to get these things to all fit together correctly without weird unintended consequences is quite a challenge. There's a little bit done in the Digital Markets Act on this. I think some of the models that we see in some of the member states, uh, like the Netherlands, also in the UK, where they try to get different groups of regulators with digital responsibilities at least talking to each other, would probably be a useful first step. Uh, I think the complexity of these different measures is getting to the point where it's really hard to guard against unintended bad consequences.
2: From my side, I mean, I think it's it's obvious. We're coming towards the end and we are standing in front of huge real-life challenges. Uh, of course, I mean, regulated my uh, regulation might be needed, but it's not the biggest challenge our society have right now. And a lot of the things that we have wanted to regulate is already regulated with the GDPR, which is in many ways an excellent regulation. However, it has been tough for 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 companies and for institutions and they still struggle to implement it so it's a slowdown is healthy uh specifically when we are looking at times of war uh, disrupted supply chains huge cyber security um, uh, challenges standing in front of us uh, and I think it's right to call for that unity and maybe to to see, okay, what are the most important files that we that we need to work on? And I think it has also become clear, for example, with the with the AI Act, that um, okay, we go for high risk, um, but there is a balance to strike in regulation. We are in in Europe so regulated compared to any other continent that the risk of something wrong happening here is in many ways extremely small compared to the rest of the world. And many of the things that are regulated in, in, uh, that they want to regulate in high-risk areas are already regulated, like healthcare, like banking, ma- like many other things. So, so, so the window of opportunity to find gaps in regulation is also much smaller, at the same time where, where we actually stand in front of challenges that are much bigger than uh, necessarily the risk of, uh, of, uh, of digital technologies further i think also the commission is learning now that many of these technologies they are changing so rapidly um energy consumption might be deemed too, too high and one year later the same technology has the lowest uh, energy consumption uh, you know on the market so you know how speedy can you actually regulate on technologies before it's 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 too late so i think her her speech in that sense was very well balanced that They have set a sea many big things. They have regulated the things that they wanted to regulate. We still have the cybersecurity area uh, that we might look into. But apart from that, uh, I don't think they are leaving behind many big gaps.
1: I completely agree with what uh, Cecilia just said, but I don't think it means, uh, to be clear, it doesn't mean that the European institutions won't be innovating Government does two main things. One of them is regulation. The other is industrial policy. I think we're going to see a shift: less regulation, more industrial policy over the remainder of the von der Leyen first term. And I said first term. Maybe there'll be another one.
0: <laughs> well, um, Cecilia, there was. Uh, an announcement that is relatively big for the tech scene which is the this initiative on the metaverse uh, it seems from uh, the, the post that Breton did uh, to sort of uh, take ownership of the initiative as he usually does um, that it will be something binding uh, to be quite frank I expected something on the metaverse in the next commission mandate uh, it might seem a bit premature right now but also in this case i would like to hear uh, w- what you can expect from this
2: i agree um on the prematurity in the sense that first of all i mean uh, virtualization and the virtual room and now called it has a name it's called metaverse but but you know we could have we could have called it many other things in the or we have called it many other things in the past is something that is highly used by also European industry. So you will have elevator companies using it to train their uh, technicians. You will have uh, doctors who learned how to operate on hearts uh, using uh, you know virtualization. You will have pilot being trained in 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 uh, in, uh, in, uh, in virtual spaces. So of course uh, this we have to be super careful that we are not trying to regulate something that is already highly integrated in how companies, both European and foreign companies, compete today, but also how they educate, how they deliver their services, etc. So second, I would say uh, we actually have quite strict regulations that already applies in the metaverse. So GDPR, um, the incoming uh, data and AI act, um, so, uh, for that matter, actually, also uh, DMA and 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 other um, other regulations. So, we will have to see what's in there, and I do hope that we will not have like a pushback just to uh, you know avoid competition and market from from a few uh, big companies, but that we will actually uh, you know look at it as an upcoming technology that. Is inevitable and a part already on how we live in many senses and compete in many senses. So, well, if there is a gap, but again, it's a little bit like AI, you know, we have to be super careful that we are not regulating, uh, you know, any innovation that comes around as a new technology. Uh, So, I would also say. Uh, we should you know settle down with uh, and, and try to implement what we have that also applies to the metaverse before we start a new one uh, necessarily um, just because there is a new or a new focus on this kind of technology
0: Cecilia Bonnefeld-Dali is director general of Digital Europe Scott Marcus is senior fellow at Bruegel thank you both my pleasure my pleasure That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website uractive.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evi Chiori. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.